0: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation.
1: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for January 28th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we pay a visit to Mary Bone's property in North Pulaski County, where she and her husband are preparing to grow fruit and vegetables to sell locally. We also get an update on what's happening at the state capitol and how Arkansas Farm Bureau's priority issues are faring during the ongoing legislative session. And Arkansas Farm Bureau's John McMinn tells us about the USDA's new Forest Management Incentive Program for Farmers and Landowners. First up, Ken Moore visits Mary Bone on the farmland she and her husband are developing in North Pulaski County. County. Bone worked on her grandfather's produce farm growing up and grew produce of her own for seven years on land north of Brinkley. She has big plans for the new property and she told Ken all about it.
0: I'm Ken Moore and this week I am in North Pulaski County kind of uh, in between Jacksonville and Cabot is where we are and I am visiting with uh, Miss Mary Bone uh, and Mary is uh, a produce grower and uh, She's going to share her story with us today on this edition of AgCast. And Mary, thank you for inviting me up to see your new property here. I know this isn't where you live, but uh, you're moving from uh, Monroe County yes. and Fargo. And where is Fargo?
2: Uh, it's about three miles north of Brinkley. Okay. What happened is I worked in Little Rock uh, for over 40 years. I originally lived in Phillips County. Down near Helena. Yeah. Okay. After working in Little Rock for over 40 years, I decided that I wanted to start farming. And it brought to my attention, really, really to my attention when I saw the commercial on televisions offering John Deere tractors, no interest, no down payment. But try to make a long story short, I'll just say what happened is I ended up going to Fargo, Arkansas, and at Arkansas Land and Farm Corporation, I talked to Dr. Kevin King there, and he offered to lease me some land. Uh, When he offered to lease me the land, he offered it at $0. So that's when I started my farming career in 2013. I started as a new and beginning farmer. So from there, I have worked there for seven years, built my farming skills. I learned all about using a high tunnel, how to control temperatures in there, how to grow vegetables, make sure that the watering system is there for your vegetables. Well, everything was going well, and then, of course, the coronavirus hit.
0: Last year, a year ago.
2: (laughs) A year ago. So at that time, uh, we lost uh, our market. So the market shut down. So that kind of challenged me. But I didn't give up on things. I still kept trying down there with no market. But um, (laughs) the opportunity presented itself. For me to come, become sorry, for me to become a landowner, something that I had wanted basically all of my life, because, as a child, growing up with my grandparents, I saw my papa, we lived out on other people's land, we never had our own, but we were fortunate enough that they would let Papa have land and to grow a truck patch so during that time when he grew those truck patches I was able to work out there with Papa and we were able to have good fresh vegetables to eat during those times and I didn't know at the time how healthy those things were for me but being around my Papa Mm -hmm. and if you're listening to me I just want you to think back to the person that raised you, and think about something that they did with you that has touched you for the rest of your life, maybe just one thing, and that one thing was my grandfather working out there, growing a tr- truck patch, growing different vegetables, and like I said, there were times when he grew peanuts so we could have a snack, he grew popcorn, so we could have a snack but he grew the major excuse me, he grew the major things too like your peas and corn and things like that and watermelons but that is the reason that I hold on to the farming like I do, the vegetable farming and over the 40 years my husband (laughs) he says I'm so country but I wanted to grow things, so he made me a little eight by ten uh garden spot in the back of the back of a house, and i I did. I grew a few things there, but it just never felt like what I really wanted to do. So after working so long in the corporate world, I decided that I would start the farming in two thousand thirteen. So this is a little of the background of why I do this. So this year, after the virus, I still wanted to move forward. So what happened is I had an opportunity to purchase some land, which would bring me closer to home in Little Rock. Because uh, Fargo is 90 miles from Little Rock. So this land is in Pulaski County, which is just a 30-minute drive from home in traffic, which is so wonderful. But the wonderful thing about it is, it's my land. Mm-hmm. It's a dream that I never thought in my lifetime would come true. I never thought I would be a, land, a landowner. Excuse me.
0: But all right. It's quite all right. This is exciting. But I do. I'm happy for you.
2: I own two and a half acres in North Pulaski County. Now, my dream, it's like I woke up out of this dream and I own this. Now, I have to move to my planning phase. And right now, you know, I have the property. There's things that needs to be done. I have a garden spot, but I need extra soil and bring in soil and to prepare for the spring. So right now, I'm working very hard. My husband helping me each day that we can be out here in this type of weather. We're working very hard to prepare so I can have vegetables for the spring by the uh, start my vegetable farming by the spring and hopefully have things ready by may of this year
0: well let's go back just a little bit and tell me what all you were able to grow there at fargo and uh, what your market was who your market was before the virus shut it down i know a lot of truck farmers a lot of produce growers thankfully we were still able to have uh, some connection with the public through Farmers markets, even though they had to follow the restrictions, you know, social distancing, the whole thing, they were still able to sell what they were able to grow. And more and more consumers want to go to people like you instead of going to the grocery store. So tell us about kind of what you had there in Fargo.
2: Okay, in Fargo, I grew a variety of vegetables. Uh, In the spring, uh, early spring, you're still able to grow your greens. And when I say greens, uh, we, my husband at the market, which was Hillcrest Market here in Little Rock, okay. they started to call him the green man because I was growing so many greens and he was bringing them to the market. And when I say greens, I mean kale greens. I grew a red Russian kale, a Siberian kale, and a Tuscany, uh, which they call a din- dinosaur kale. I grew three different types of kale. I grow collards. I grow uh, cabbage, a red, and a green. I also grow uh, arugula. Yeah. So that's kind of a variety of the greens that I grow, which are in the springtime. But as it moves on and, uh, you know, that Arkansas is seasonal on what you yes. can grow. Yes. Uh, we also grow squash, cucumbers, watermelons, peas, uh corn uh just uh uh, several different things and i also grow spinach too so uh those are some of the items that we grow tomatoes um and most of our customers which is very unusual uh, a lot of people sell red tomatoes but we had a lot of customers that wanted green tomatoes
0: well, they love fried green tomatoes.
2: Yes, I learned that, and that has been one of uh, a great market for us. So, uh, working at the uh, selling at the Hillcrest Market was just wonderful. And when it closed down, uh, about the time it closed down, well, you have to realize if your market closes down and doesn't open up for two weeks or uh, three weeks, uh, vegetables are so time sensitive. And you can lose them. So you have to have your market where you go each week with your fresh vegetables. So right now I'm still preparing and hoping that the markets with the social distancing, with our mask and everything, hoping that we can be prepared to start in some markets around town in Little Rock. Uh, I even have heard that Uh, They are open in a market in North Little Rock at Agenta. So uh, hopefully I will be invited to that market. So I'm not going to give up. It's a challenge. But I've always tried to turn that challenge into an opportunity. And I'm still planning to do that.
0: Well, I know last summer uh, it was late in getting open. But even downtown, uh, the Little Rock Farmer's Markets uh, down at the River Market Mm -hmm. opened up. And uh, they had all the protocols, people wearing masks. But they did have the the farmers come. They had the vendors come and you could sell. So that might be another opportunity as well because people have become accustomed to going downtown, whether it's the River Market, whether it's Argenta here in North Little Rock or uh, Hillcrest. You know, we have several here in the metro area where you can sell your produce, you know, wouldn't that be a great thing?
2: That would be wonderful, wonderful. And um, just thinking about the challenges that we've had, I'm thinking about other small farmers like me. I know that we're all challenged, and I'm hoping and praying that everything will, well, we know everything is going to get better. That's Mm -hmm. just my attitude. Throughout my life, looking at my past, I know things will get better. They have gotten better, and they will continue to get better. This is Arkansas Land and Farm uh, at Fargo, Arkansas. How he helped me was he listened to my story. When I walked in, uh, I told him I wanted to be a farmer, and I guess because I'm a lady People kind of look at you it's strange and think you don't want to do that. It's digging in the dirt and it's hard work. It's intense work, but I know that because of my grandpa, and I saw him yeah. do it with a mule, a plow, and the scraps on his back, and a hoe. Thus was that was what he had to work with, and I know myself that I can do it with all of the equipment that we have now that moves all you have to do is got it. But Dr. King sit there and he listened to my story of being raised by my grandfather and he told me that he had this idea that he would let me have the land to start farming. So he leased me 30 acres of land. A lot of land for vegetable farming. But he leased me the land and you can't farm without land, right, right? And that's the major, major thing that he did. Not only did he lease me the land, he opened himself up and his organization f- to me for any assistance. When I say assistance, I mean like uh, knowledge. They put on uh, training classes. They have agronomists come to meetings and uh, they schedule meetings so you can learn about the soil, the pHs of the soil. These are the things that he did to assist me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. My grandfather, I never heard the word pH and soil test when I was working with him because he didn't know about those things. So it's a new day, a new generation of of training and getting you to understand the soil and you need to know these things in order to be able to raise vegetables. I I learned that now that I have uh, blueberry trees on the new property that I purchased that the blueberries need a pH of five not seven and a half and some of the vegetables that I grow they want the pH to be six and above so the agronomist that he brought in, the training that he brought in, is what helped me to get to the point to where I could grow my vegetables, knowing what they need, knowing which vegetables need certain amount of water, even. There are vegetables they're different. They're different, <laughs> but they're all in the food group. They might be in the same environment. But my greens may need more water than my beets. So these are the things that you can learn in the training that they gave me at the organization. And these are the things that I learned to utilize that made me produce beautiful vegetables. And uh, it's okay if you're growing something you don't want it to just grow you want it to thrive you want it to be so beautiful that when that person walks in that market you want them to look at your vegetables and say wow I want some of that Mm -hmm. and I credit Dr. King and his organization for teaching me about the soil and things that I need to do to feed my vegetables so they can produce over and over and what you got to realize is you've got some vegetables that uh, they produce for several months and you've got to keep the soil right uh, the pH right you've got to give them enough water you can't just put them there and say I put you here grow no no you've got to take care of it and I credit them with helping me also my grandfather, that took care of his without all of this, I didn't know at the time that people say it's organic now. But we had chickens. And I realize now that when Papa was saving the chicken manure, Mm -hmm. he was using it in our garden. It was a fertilizer. But like I say, as a little girl, I didn't realize that. But now uh, using those things... Uh, will give you a certification of becoming organic. Mm -hmm. So I think we was a little organic back then, and I just didn't know. I didn't know. But he used this type of thing, and what I learned from Dr. King and what I learned from my grandfather, I've merged the two together, and it's working for me. It's working for my vegetables. And I plan to continue learning Uh, I plan to, there's classes, he will still, Dr. King still offers classes and I get the brochures from him when they're having the classes and the training and I still plan to continue to go to some of his training classes.
0: You never stop learning, you never stop, but it's all changing and technology has improved the way that uh, produce growers can grow crops year round. Here in Arkansas, 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't grow produce in the wintertime. You know, but, but now we learned the benefit of having plastic, and you're doing that right here. I mean, you bought this two and a half acres. You planted some wonderful-looking greens just a few months ago, and they're thriving right now.
2: Yes, sir. I uh, I planted uh, some spinach and some kale, yes. and uh, like I said, I had to come into this soil And I had to bring a little extra in because this, the farm that I bought hadn't been used in about four years. So I just wanted to do a test run to see and get the feel of the soil. So I was able to plant some greens in uh, September, late September, 1st of October. And I've been able to grow uh, some spinach, spinach. some cab- uh, cabbage, some collard greens. So all in all, I think that uh, the vegetables uh, will grow and be wonderful during this period of time if I can get the high tunnels. The high tunnels will, I guess I'm trying to say with the high tunnel, you will be able to grow produce year-round. And that's, hopefully in the future, I will be able to get a high tunnel and continue to grow year-round.
0: Well, once you fertilize the soil and get it cultivated here and get it worked up, uh, high tunnel technology is like a greenhouse. And and it's like, you know, you have the heat. Mm -hmm. So you can grow in the wintertime because it's insulated and you have the heat and then you'll have to get your your, uh, irrigation, of course, going. But you know all about that, (laughs) so Uh, you're using it. You've already got it right here. That is
2: a big plus. That is a big
0: plus. You've got underground irrigation right here, I guess, huh?
2: Yes, sir. The farmer before me had our irrigation in. I haven't turned the water on yet. We've got to make sure to test to see if there's any leaks or anything in. But irrigation, without irrigation, you're not going to be a farmer. Not and not here. Not because. If you've got 10 days of 90 degree weather and no water on your vegetables, they can't survive. They'll burn up. They will burn up. So a big plus, when I looked at this property, I just got so excited. A big plus, the water, the irrigation is here. Another plus is the fencing. Mm -hmm. You have to think about our little
0: (laughs) predators. we have a lot of deer that like tomatoes and greens
2: yes uh we've got raccoons and 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 you have to think about all of these uh risk risks that you take when you're doing this and uh they love vegetables uh And if possible, they're going to get to your vegetables. And you walk out here one day, and all of a sudden, they were so beautiful yesterday, and the deer has come in overnight, and and it's gone. It's gone. So (laughs) you have to just say, okay, think about it. It's not that you really did something wrong. It's just that you didn't do enough to prevent them. So then you think about it, what else can I do to make this better? The fencing makes a huge difference. Huge difference. So I came from an area where there was flyover, row crops, and you have to think about that as a vegetable farmer because some of the things that they use in row crops will destroy your – your vegetables. So, being here uh, at this farm, and like I said, when I looked at this, and just thinking about that I can own this, I I could own it, and I do own it now, mm-hmm. I do own it now, but looking at that the fencing was already here, that I, I didn't have to work against Flyovers with the sprays and my next door neighbors, and not saying anything against row crops because without them, they produce a lot of food for of course, people. And uh, but just being up here, you don't have. You're back.
0: protected from it.
2: I'm protected from it. I'm protected from it with my vegetables. I won't walk out here and because of something that uh, they had to use to save their crop. And I couldn't expect that you don't save your crop and, and let uh, me to let mines go, but they have to save their crops. Oh. They have to. And you can't move down there among them and tell them they can't do what they need to do.
0: Well, our large commercial crop farmers have to have weed protection. Yes, sir. They have to deal with weeds. They have to deal with pests. Yes, sir. But you deal with it in different ways, yes. you know and uh and i see you even have some neighbor sheep right up here outside the fence aren't they cute
2: aren't they cute yes sir we uh and that is a part of what i'm hoping to make happen up here it's just such a special place and i have to keep saying but it's mine now and I, i it's uh, it's a special place. There's sheep there. I've got neighbors that are with the turkeys, and uh, it is to me an ideal place for a young person to come and to visit and to see the sheep next door or their cows in the pasture next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, once I've got everything organized and all of my planning and everything done, I can, you know, open my farm up to visitors, and I'm hoping for that, but that's the plan in the works.
0: I love it. I love it, Mary, and I like to see how this is terraced here. Uh, It slopes down to a creek down below, Mm -hmm. and uh, you'll have good runoff. I mean, you're not going to have a lot of standing water, and so I think you and Ricky have a little work ahead of you here for the next several months, Yes, sir. We but do. Uh, I love it. It's a work in progress, as you say, and talk about how you want to take this building behind us here and turn it into a demonstration kitchen.
2: Okay. Um, I've, that was one of the big selling points to me when I saw that building and I walked inside and I looked and I thought, one of my, uh, here I go with the dream again, but is to have a certified kitchen. And in that certified kitchen, I'm hoping that I can get to a point to where I can invite people in to learn how to cook the vegetables I grow right here on site. And my thing is, if you don't know how to use a vegetable, how to fix this vegetable for your child, Mm -hmm. you're not going to buy it. And um, seeing the vegetable, and I, I would love for parents to come out with their children and see us pick the vegetables, even let them be able to pick the vegetables out of the garden. We bring it to their kitchen, wash it, clean it up, and prepare it, and let them taste it. Uh That is something that I'm hopeful for in this building back here. Of course, anyone that grows vegetables know that they're very time-sensitive. If you pick in in 90-degree to 100-degree weather, you need to get them in the cool as fast as possible. So this building behind me, uh, in the back of the building, there is a space that we're going to be able to insulate and prepare for us a cooler that we can walk from the vegetable garden here immediately and take our vegetables back there put them in the cool so they'll be maintained and they won't wilt if you know if you're a vegetable farmer then you understand really what i'm saying here this is something that's a necessity uh so this
0: preservation food preservation
2: yes sir so this building Uh, is going to be what I would use, hopefully, to draw people in. Uh, Of course, I've got a lot of work to do there, too. As as you just said, we've got work here on, on the ground. But I'm planning to utilize this building. I also have enough space in there that I could have a small teaching room, a classroom. So... Once we had the class, the training and everything, we'd have the certified kitchen. And one thing else that that I want to say for a certified kitchen, there are times that you're going to grow vegetables, and you're not going to sell everything that you grow. Oh, you won't, no. That, and, and you just have to be prepared for that. And the way that I'm preparing for that is value-added. Okay. So if I've got beets and I don't sell them all this week, then I can do the canning process. There you go. I can can those beets, and you can, uh, if they're certified kitchen and, and the health department comes out and certified, you're, you're allowed, from my understanding, I don't want to misquote, to uh, still sell those vegetables in those jars or whatever. Yeah. But uh, But yeah. those are things that I'm thinking for this building on the property. And like I said... <laughs> I not only only property, I have a building on the property that I'm going to be able to utilize for a certified kitchen. And to me, that is a massive step in my plan. My grandmother, I was so young at that time, uh, I, and, and I guess everybody said I was a tomboy. Because <laughs> I wanted to be out in the field with Papa instead of in the kitchen with my grandmother so i didn't do a lot of canning and and everything and my grandmother got sick on me when i was really young and uh so i spent a lot of time out in the field working with papa so but my grandmother when she was up able to she did that she canned.
0: Yeah, learn that way that's how they grew up that's
2: yes you put back for the winter months when things are going to be difficult you can't walk out and pull squash or cucumbers in the middle of the winter no way you have got to utilize skills to save them for when you're going to need them for on days when it's so cold that I remember the times that we had to stay in in the house most of the time, sometimes because it would be so cold. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) we had this old wooden stove, and I laugh about it now because they use, and I know some people probably have never heard of this. We had sweet potatoes that Papa had grew, and he would go under the house in the cellar and get those sweet potatoes because, you know, he covered them with warm blankets so they wouldn't freeze through the winter. So we'd be in the house on a cold day with one pot belly wood stove, and he would take those sweet potatoes, and he would take the hot ashes huh. and put them over those sweet potatoes and oh. bake them. That's my grandpa. I just did not realize the things that he was an entrepreneur and I didn't, didn't, he couldn't read or write or anything like that, but he, he just, he had so much common knowledge that helped us to survive. But when I think about some of the things that he did, like I say, those hot ashes and those coals, he would take them and cover over that sweet potato and bake it. That's how they survived over the years. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money. Papa, Papa worked for a quarter a day. Sometimes he told me, you know, but he ditch bank or anything that he could cut to do would help us survive. He hunted. He fished. These things is this is how I lived. And my husband will say, Mary, you just grew up so many years behind your time. You shouldn't have experienced that. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I did. And it makes me the person that I am today. Your environment should cause development. And I developed a little bit different from him because he kind of grew up in the city and everything. So I developed different from his his ideas and my ideas and and digging in the dirt. He just doesn't carry anything at all for it. But I love it. I love being able to make things grow and produce. I love it.
0: We'll never lose the need for that. We'll never lose the need for that, Mary. I've loved this conversation. I want to. I'm going to come back in about Please. three to four months okay. when you have this ground working, and uh, I don't know if you have your high tunnels in place by April or May, but still you'll have something growing here. I
2: should have something growing. My plans are to have something growing uh, as soon as possible, even if I have to uh, as a matter of fact, I'll be starting my seedlings uh, the first of February. I have two small little hot houses that I use that my, my husband has made up for me that with the little uh, heaters to keep my vegetables warm to start my seedlings off so i'm planning i'm hopeful hopefully i will have something growing uh ready to sell by may i'm hoping that i'll have so uh if you come back in march if the weather is decent at all you should see something growing i'm hoping
0: I'm oh, I have no doubt. doubt we could have a kale salad right now.
2: Yes, we could. We <laughs> could have a kale including kale and spinach. Uh-huh. Uh, we could have a spinach salad spinach and kale salad right
0: now. No, I'm a spinach man myself. My daughter is trying to get me used to kale. I she loves it. We've been eating, they've been my daughter's been eating kale for years. It's just a little different than spinach it and is. cabbage, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm learning. You
2: know. Okay, okay, sounds good, sounds
0: good. And you also have your tr- your uh, vineyard here that your, the previous owner on the property had, grew some muscadine grapes here. Are you going to try to see if you can re- restore those muscadines?
2: Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I have been in contact with uh, UAPB College in Pine Bluff, uh, Dr. English there, okay. and he has already uh, had someone to come out and look at my muscadines as a matter of fact he told me that i had muscadines and on the very far end there i have a few uh grapevines so he is uh dr nuji came out and he said that he would bring some of the students out from the college uh and during the spring because the tree the muscadine vines needed to be pruned and yeah. of course I have no experience with that but I'm thankful to UAPV that they're gonna come out here and all of the fruit trees, uh the uh blueberry bushes, all of those, they're gonna give me some training on those. They're gonna he said they would prune them for me. So hopefully uh, like I say I have no experience with these. Uh, with the muscadines but i'm looking forward to training and being able to um, produce muscadines
0: you've purchased a wonderful spot here in north Pulaski county
2: thank you so much that's what i think i i mean i just i think it has so much potential i just think that i know it'll take time but Anything worth having is worth working hard for. And I've been working for years. I mean, (laughs) I keep thinking that it's all going to work out. And I just pray that my husband and I can keep our health. But I feel like it helps my health to be out here in this garden. Working and growing things. I just love it. I have to say with my husband, there is no way that I could have done all of this without him. He supports me, anything I need done, the physical part, he does it for me. He does it, and uh, he's worked on all of this around here. It'll just take us some time, but we're going to continue to work on it to try to get everything situated with the kitchen and then the garden and being able to uh do the value added i'm looking forward to working through it i really am
0: i know you are and i want to when they open up later this year uh visit you at the hillcrest market once they get started going again because i'm going to buy some of your greens and your tomatoes i, I am a tomato man oh.
2: Right. <laughs> I want to
0: buy some Marybone tomatoes.
2: I well, I will be glad to sell you some Marybone tomatoes. I grow two types. I grow a Celebrity and a Juliet. I, uh, the Juliet is more like a Roma tomato yeah. and the Celebrities is the slicing tomato which uh, like I say, we have a lot of people that buy the green slicing Celebrity tomato from us.
0: Yeah. Well, nothing better than a good Arkansas grown tomato. <laughs> Uh, here locally listen mary thank you for your time and showing this off to me and uh now that i know where you are we're going to come back here in a few months
2: Please do please do i i would love for you to come back and even hopefully if you don't leave arkansas and uh and uh just come by and visit with us i'd love that love that
0: thank you very much we've been visiting with mary bone and i'm going to give uh props to her husband ricky bone who's helping her uh, develop this property, uh, get it ready to go, put it in production, and it's just a dream come true. And we love telling these uh, wonderful stories like Mary's. Thank you so much for your time.
2: You're so very welcome. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you back for another
0: visit. we we'll speak with Mary Bone this week on Arkansas Adcast.
1: Next, Keith Sutton talks to Arkansas Farm Bureau State Affairs Director Jeff Pitchford about the latest news from the legislature.
3: Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, I'm with Jeff Pitchford, who is Director of Public Affairs and Government Relations here at Farm Bureau. Welcome to AgCast, Jeff.
4: Glad to be back.
3: Yeah, uh, we've got a legislative session going on down at the state capitol, and it's well underway now and. uh we know you're the a number one guy to talk to, give an update. So, oh sure, yeah. Yeah, we've asked you to come in and kind of tell us uh, maybe what happened uh, this past week and what's going to be going on this week.
4: Yeah, well, thanks, Keith, for for having me on the show. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, yeah, it's definitely our our busy season. The ninety uh, third general assembly is well underway. This is uh, week three. Uh, this week. And so uh, this is really kind of the uh, the behind-the-scenes time that's going on with with, uh, the legislature. Uh, Obviously, there's a process. A legislator comes down to Little Rock and says, I've got this idea. And well, it has to be drawn up in the form of a bill. So they're working behind the scenes with their staff at the legislature, a lot of attorneys who will draw up this bill and and have a draft and then they'll work on it a little more and everything so by the it takes a little while before bills are filed so we're we're seeing that right now uh there's not a, a tremendous amount of bills filed so far and i think a lot of it is behind the scenes working and we certainly here at the uh, arkansas farm bureau are having a lot of conversations i'll call the, i'll call them conversations okay. with with legislators About a a variety of issues, some that have been put together on our priority list as established by our members and our state board, and also about uh, agriculture bills in general. So this is kind of the grinding process, you know, I think, uh, was it Mark Twain that said, uh, there's two things you should not ever watch being made. Uh, (laughs) one, One of them was sausage, and I think the other is law. I believe that uh, is so true. we we're kinda in that process right now. We're it's kind of the grinding process. We're all kinda doing that. So
3: Well uh so right now we're uh, we're kinda sitting back while they're making sausage down there at the Capitol. Uh tell us a little bit about some of our, our priority issues yeah. that are going on.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Keith. We uh right now we're we're looking at some of the ones and that are on our priority list. Uh, probably first and foremost is our reestablishing a state meat inspection program through the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. Made some progress there. Our leaders had a meeting with uh, Governor Hutchinson and his staff. We've had conversations with the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. And we think we're going to be uh, making s- some movement on putting that together over this next week or so. I know uh, Representative DeAnn Vaught is the lead sponsor of that bill, and she's working on getting sponsors, some of our colleagues, to sign on to that bill. And so we feel like we're going to have some news on it over the maybe by the end of this week, uh, or by the latest uh, the beginning of the following week. And that's a, that's a, been a big issue and, and a big push because we're asking for uh, the state to put in some money and, and positions uh, to get that program up and running, and that's always a hard hard thing to do. We have had some good conversations with Representative Bentley, who's putting together a package of bills on uh, looking at uh, the structure of how levy boards operate in Arkansas. Uh, We're working with the Arkansas County Association uh, with that one as well. We think we've got some some momentum and and some things figured out on on those bills. So you're going to see about four bills uh, that come out with that. That's been on our list. Uh, We've sat down with uh, Representative Joe Jett, who's the chair of the House Revenue and Taxation Committee, to talk about uh, taxes concerning agriculture. Uh, I have a long list of various things that we would like to see done, if possible, and if not, at least uh, put out there so that we can show this is, you know, what's important for for agriculture. And so uh, working on that. Probably um, this week we'll actually see some actual bills that have already been filed that will be uh, worked on in committee. One is on the plant board. It's a a bill by Senator Wallace. Now, it's not as close to our policy as the one that Representative uh, Hillman filed uh, late last week. Both probably need some sort of tweaking uh, to get it through, we want to make sure that we're um, getting uh, what is needed legally uh, on the appointment process uh, for for this. And at the same time, uh, allowing for industry to have some input, uh, we feel that that's very important. I know our members feel that's very important. So we're working on that bill uh, that's going to be on Senate Ag this week. And also in transportation this week. Uh, on our list is changing the lemon law, and there we've got Representative Richmond has filed a bill for us, and that will be heard this week in committee. And that basically does just a, a simple change right now. The federal definition of a class three, which is a one ton truck, um, is from 10 to 14,000 pounds. The Arkansas lemon law that covers vehicles stops at 13,000 pounds, and so we just wanted to make that change in a, in the Arkansas lemon law from 13,000 to 14,000 cuz we've actually seen a uh, a case where a farmer had a truck that was over 13,000 but under 14,000 it oh, qualified thanks. federally for a a for a uh, to be covered but not at the state level
3: well, so it sounds like we've got a little bit of momentum going and uh, we're going to start seeing some things start clicking maybe uh, beginning this week.
4: We will. We'll see a few things on our list that will that uh, will be addressed directly and I think we're going to see a wave of some of these other things happen over the next couple of weeks, but it just it just takes a little little grinding to get uh, get things going.
0: Well,
3: we know that you and our entire government affairs staff is down there doing the grinding for us, and we're appreciative of that. If anybody listening to this uh, wants to uh, assist in any way or just keep up to date, uh, we know they can uh, go to our website, ARFB.com. We'll do uh, regular updates either like this on a podcast or we'll do some videos but we'll also post there when there are things uh, we need folks to contact their representatives about.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Our website has a link. It's got some great sources there. Uh, they can also text ARFB space LEG, uh, ARFB space LEG to 52886. And we'll get, put you on a update uh, or to have instant updates and alerts via text messages, or you can always email us at publicaffairs at
3: com. So there's a lot of ways you listeners can uh, track what's going on, and uh, we'll have Jeff back again and try to do some type of update each week so everybody will know what's happening down at the Capitol. Thank you, Jeff, for your time.
1: Thank you, Keith. Appreciate you. Finally, Greg Patterson talks to Arkansas Farm Bureau Director of Commodity Activities and Economics, John McMinn, about the USDA's new forest management program to encourage landowners and producers to implement healthy forest management practices. This is
5: Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, our guest today is John McMinn, who works for Arkansas Farm Bureau, he is a uh, commodity specialist and economist. And, John, welcome to Arkansas Outcast.
6: Greg, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So one of the reasons I was calling you today
5: uh, to do this interview was there is obviously the Conservation Reserve Program, which is a big part of the Farm Bill. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a new program that's been recently announced nationwide for forest management and i think it's called the forest management incentive program um tell us about that what's going on with that program
6: so the usda launched this program last week january 19th to be exact um and it's just another addition to their conservation reserve reserve program or also known as crp so what they've done is uh they've opened up tw- 12 million dollars uh, for landowners o- land and producers uh, to put towards um, implementing healthy forest management practices. And some of those practices uh, could be anywhere from tree thinning to um, uh, prescribed burns, et cetera. So some of these people that are already in the CRP program are uh, not new to this. They kind of know what is going on, but USDA has just opened up some more money for it.
5: So they're trying to uh, encourage more landowners producers to get involved in uh, forest management on their farm a lot of farms obviously have forest acreage and as you mentioned uh thinnings prescribed burns things like that are are helpful what for, for farmers um what are the kinds of things uh, that they're going to be interested in doing if, they're as I understand this program, you've got to be already involved in CRP to sign up?
6: Correct. You know, um, <clears throat> you have to be in, involved in the CRP program currently to sign up. Uh, the, the other caveat to that is the current CRP, contract, CRP contracts that are out there that are expiring in two years, uh, those people are not eligible. Uh, Only people that go in.
5: And those those CRP contracts, so people who are are listening can understand, they have a certain set number of years that they're involved in CRP. Um, They get um, paid to do a certain practice or uh, the practice is paid for a certain percentage, and then eventually that contract um, runs out. And you're saying that folks who have two years left on their contract cannot be in this program but other folks who are already in CRP who have longer contracts can sign up for this one.
6: Correct. Anything longer than 2 years those those people would be eligible but again if you if your current CRP contract or program uh ends in the next 2 years unfortunately you're not uh, uh able to participate.
5: So um a lot of people think in terms of, you know, forests that oh we ought to just leave them alone there's no reason to do anything with them but but that's actually not the case there are things like the prescribed burns and the, the thinning's and timber harvests and and different things that are beneficial to uh forests and tell us a little bit about good forestry management practices
6: well uh the the thinning plays into a big factor of it um it's kind of the same deal in row crops you know if you have uh Two plants or two seeds that are planted too close to each other—they're both going to fight for nutrients, and in turn, at the end of the end of its growth, it's not going to yield or harvest as well as it would have if there had been, uh, you know, enough spacing or you know, viable n- a number amount of nutrients for that that plant to grow. So, in thinning and and forestry or in our our, our forest, uh, will help create that spacing and help you know more efficient growth and create higher yields for uh, that landowner. Uh Prescribed burns are also a good good way to uh uh deal with conservation that helps with uh, wildlife habitat and it also promotes new growth on the forest floor
5: yeah and a lot of people who who see it all the newspaper articles about these outrageous fires out west and everything are probably thinking a prescribed burn why would you want to set the forest on fire mm-hmm. but it's it's carefully managed it's It's done in a way that, as you say, opens up new growth, which is real beneficial uh in the herbaceous plants that are on the forest floor for wildlife and it helps uh the the remaining trees that are in there that can withstand a a light fire it allows them to uh as you say get more nutrients and take off take off too um, The conservation reserve program tell us about it generally uh, it's it's at its thirty fifth birthday. I think this month.
6: Yeah, so uh, the CRP program was signed in law in nineteen eighty five, and is one of the largest private lands conversation, conservation programs in the United States. Uh, so it's over you know that that time frame. The program has uh, been fairly successful. Uh, you know their main main goals or one of them is uh, so preventing soil erosion. So right now they've they've pegged it at 9 billion tons of soil. They've prevented from eroding, which is enough soil, for 600 million dump trucks. Uh, Another fact that I saw that was pretty interesting, especially for some of our uh, row croppers, the program has reduced nitrogen and phosphorus runoff relative to annually tilled cropland by 95 to 85% respectively. Um, The other little tidbit that I saw um, is that it, you know, Arkansas is known as one of the capitals for duck hunting, right? So creating more than 3 million acres of restored wetlands is huge for the state of Arkansas through that CRP program.
5: Yeah, and and CRP, you know, a lot of people um, um, may not be aware how important conservation practices are to farmers. um, When you mentioned the 95% and 85% of nitrogen and phosphorus runoff that is stopped, because of uh, these CRP uh, programs, that's pretty spectacular. Because what we're talking about there is water quality. The fact that uh, these uh, wetlands
6: are involved there that also helps
5: water quality. So it's a pretty important program to farmers.
6: Yeah, some of the wildlife that it's looking at benefiting or has benefited, you know, or bees, some of our pollinators that uh, also our row croppers depend on. But also duck populations, pheasants, turkeys, bobwhite quail, which has been kind of a uh, on the downhill here in the state, prairie chickens, and grasshopper sparrows, and many other birds. You know, you could go on and on.
5: So um, if, if uh, some of the current CRP folks who are involved, our producers, landowners, um, who still have contracts that will extend beyond the next two years, want to get involved in this Uh, forestry practice, this new forestry practice, what's your recommendation that they do at this point?
6: You know, from here, you'd want to contact your local FSA office, which is in uh, pretty much every county, and they can uh, guide you through it. Uh, Again, this was announced last week, but there's not, has not been an announcement for a deadline yet. They state that that's going to be later, uh, but they they haven't come out with it yet. Uh, In regards to how this is going to, you know, that money will be paid out. They've got two options here. The actual cost of completing the practice is one option for the payout uh, or 75% 75 of the payment rate offered by USDA's NRCS if that current or actual practice is offered through NRCS conservation programs currently. Uh, Between those two options they will uh, choose the lower cost of those two. So whichever one is uh, a cheaper payment for uh, that program, they'll pay that out.
5: Well, that sounds good.
6: Uh, John McMinn is a
5: commodity specialist and economist for Arkansas Farm Bureau. He's been our guest today and, and giving us a heads up in regards to a new forestry incentive program for folks who are enrolled in CRP with with contracts that extend longer than two more years. And John, thank you so
1: much for uh, updating us on what farmers are doing with conservation programs. That's it for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back with a new episode next Thursday with the latest news and views on Arkansas agriculture.